want to assure all of you that I am not Tricia Burke, uh, in case you think that all those years with Mark has changed her voice. <laughs> Which I could understand that happening. Um, she, uh, she graciously um, allowed me to stand in for her today, and so I'm very happy to be here. Um, my name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor here at the Father's Church, and it's great to be able to spend time with uh, all of our Saints family and anybody else who has uh, graciously joined with us today. We want to look <coughs> in our class today at one of the most famous articulations in all of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, and it is what's known as the Beatitudes. And I remember during all the years when we would be uh, teaching the young children, and I, I remember one time um, Sister Burns was teaching the kids, and she had this layout of the Beatitudes. Many of you have probably taught that. These are things that we should all be. And, you know, on surface, these words um, are really great philosophical uh, aspirations. You know, we need to be pure. We need to be merciful. We need to be all these things. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. It is alive, and as long as you're not twisting or perverting it in some way, it can deliver many different aspects of our development to us just by reading it. It can be very simple. It can be very entry-level. It can be very uh, consoling. But that's, again, the beauty of the Word of God. And we've learned this as Pneumatikos people. God gives us an insight into the living Word, and then He builds on it without taking away from what has already been established. And to me, that's, that's one of the greatest miracles that, um, that I've ever experienced. And it has to do with the Word of God that will never pass away. You know, <clears throat> you wonder how the Word of God will never pass away, how it will never cease to have vibrancy, how it will never cease to be life-giving. You know, when, when a person passes away on earth, that's all they wrote. You know, there, there's nothing more that's coming out of them. And that, that, that passing away aspect of the Word of God, that it'll never pass away, indicates not just that it exists, but it will continue to contribute in new ways. And I, I think that's one of the, the greatest blessings that we've experienced here as a church and as a saints network that many have been students of the word all their lives you know so many even in this room grew up from the very earliest memory um, talking about the bible memorizing scripture having uh, sword drills and you now for those of you listening we're not violent it's just that you know, somebody would say, John 3.16, and everybody was, you know, uh, looking up the scripture. The first one to get it would stand and start reading it. 
And, you know, so we, we cherish the Bible. Um, but one of the greatest blessings to me is <clears throat> that I would, in prayer, I would be directed to look at a scripture and God would show me something in a scripture that I had studied and even preached or taught all my life and suddenly you see a new aspect. Not just a new way to spin it. Not just a new three-point way to get people motivated. But to gain a fresh revelation of that same word and that revelation did not in any way contradict what had already been established by the Scripture. And, and then years or months or at, at a predetermined time by the Spirit later, you could go back to that same Scripture and see something b new, a line-upon-line line type of a thing. Now that's a miracle. That's miraculous to me. And I, um, I'm so grateful to the Word, the gift of the Word of God to us, because it, it just, and of course the, the divine teacher, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, guides us by very nature of what the Scripture says about that dimension of God into things that we have not seen before, things that have been hidden by God, things that have been hidden or set aside. God leads us to that and peels off a, a measure of wrapping and you see something that you've never seen before. That's the beauty of our God. There's, we never have it all. We never, we have what we need and it's more than enough, but there's always more in Him. And for, for me, I'm just so grateful. And it's not, it's not reliant upon studying. Now, we should study to show ourselves approved a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should keep studying. But this type of ongoing revelation of the Spirit is not necessarily dependent upon your study. Um, your study will help you when the Spirit guides you to a fresh understanding. Your study will keep you from gaining that understanding and then veering off into things where you don't belong. It's just like anything else. The more power you have, the more you have to safeguard that you don't misuse it or that you don't uh, do something that could lead you into error. If you're going faster, you can't, you can't um, take your eye off of the, the, off the road because you, at that higher speed, can be in the ditch before you know it. And so having that word hit in your heart that you don't miss the mark is really important when you're gaining revelation from the Spirit. Because as is so often the case when God teaches us something, so many times the way He teaches me is by asking me a question. Uh, and then that's what happened in the Scripture. Um, Jesus would 
That's, that's the principle of a parable. And, and so, if you're, if you're going to be led by the Spirit into an understanding in that way, you better, you better have all your, your tools aligned because your answer will depend upon what you've done to prepare yourself for that moment. And sometimes you see people who gain a revelation and they go off. Um, we, we talk about this not from a critical standpoint, but from a warning standpoint. Sometimes when we are out in ministry and we come in contact with other streams of thought, particularly prophetic-based, not that anything wrong with the prophetic, but some of the prophetic camps are just largely into, revel into revelation, not, not so much affirming it in the mouth of two or three witnesses. You know, they forget about the thing that, the fact that you have to judge prophecy. <laughs> and, and so sometimes somebody will say something and it's based upon a revelation, quote unquote, that another person got. And the extrapolations off from that are not scriptural. And you think, okay, I see how this first insight was from God, but what you did was you opened the gate and the cows out in the pasture somewhere is not where it belongs and you have to reel it in and and so when God brings revelation he depends upon you being established on what he's already shown you and and so often the spirit will bring to remembrance the things that he allowed you to study in the past and and it will align you. And, and God is so good about that. So that, that was a long introduction, obviously. I didn't need to tell you that. But when we look at the Beatitudes, there's so much here that, that I never thought to consider because these were the Beatitudes. You know, these were... Just these sweet words that Jesus almost maxims for your walk in life. You make sure you're pure. Take time to be holy, for yielding is sin. You know, or be, be a peacemaker. Hey, stop that now. You kids in the back seat, be quiet. No more fighting. Heather, stay on your side of the car. Ryan, don't hit her. But she hit me first. <laughs> he touched me. <laughs> Draw a line down the middle of the back seat. See, that's what being a peacemaker is. <laughs> but, you know, and, and the beauty of it is, is that people who try to live their life by these maxims, it's, it's a great thing. But you can't tell me that Jesus articulated the very Son of God, this incredible repetition of blessed are the, blessed are they, blessed are the, blessed are they, without there being a phenomenal bedrock, foundational truth that the Son of God is releasing. And, you know, yes, you can read this and it can bring a simplicity and an order to your life and that's the beauty of the Word. But we're going to look today at 
something that I think is very obvious and um, it's, it's a very powerful invitation to go deeper in God and to really live your life toward fulfilling what we're on earth here to do. And um, in our Sunday message in the sanctuary, we'll be talking at greater length about this first one that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we won't touch on that in depth in here, but we'll look at the continuity of what I believe is very obvious that Jesus is saying. And I pray that this will help us as saints as we are going forward. So the first thing we want to consider is something that we've touched on in a briefer form in the past. And that is, what is this word blessed? Why does Jesus repeat it over and over and over and over again? Because this word blessed, we've studied in the Old Testament about how <clears throat> that the deepest measure of being blessed is to kneel before God in order to be commissioned with greater authority for a task that he's bringing. It's almost a, a promotion of sorts. And so we've studied about that. This word blessed is something that, that <laughs> Jesus pulled out of the Hellenistic understanding. Uh, he uses this ver word very specifically out of the way that the Greek language understood this word. And I, I want to say that he chose this carefully under the direction of the Spirit. And I also want to say that if he just wanted to say you're going to have goodness or you're going to have, you know, some measure of favor or you're going to have uh, everything just bright and shiny, uh, you're going to be provided for. There are other words that it could have been used here. And Jesus was not a dummy when it came to linguistics. I mean, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe from the time he was 12 years old, and must, mostly, we don't have record of this, he just didn't, at 12, wake up, oh, <laughs> I'm brilliant. I mean, he had to have been uh, a student leading up to that time. So he had a good choice of words. He knew Aramaic. He knew, um, obviously, Hebrew. He knew Greek. And, you know, we've studied about Jesus' upbringing when he was working with his earthly father, Joseph, and how that masonry type of, of um, vocation that he was helping his father in was largely used by the Greeks. The Greek settlements very near where he was raised. Archaeologists have uh, uncovered a huge Greek city, uh, uh, not just for huge Greeks, but it was a, it's a Greek city that was huge. And, you know, it's just like any other thing. If you need work done in your house, or if you want to add on or whatever, you, you want to find somebody who's skilled and you, you don't want to pay money for, for a slipshod job and you think, well, what's my, what's my recourse? So Joseph was 
really active, I know, in the Greek community. And because in that area, you know, the Romans were basically freshly on the scene. The Greeks had come in there and they were, they were everywhere, hence the, the Hellenistic language that uh, the Jewish scholars, of all the ways that they could send out the Old Testament, they chose 70 scholars to translate the Old Testament into Greek. And they sent it out that way. And now Jesus probably knew whatever it was that the Romans spoke. We could say it's Italian, but it was some kind of a Latin formation that was also formed off of uh, all of these other languages. So when this was written, these words were carefully chosen. Now, whether Jesus actually spoke this out in Greek or not, I don't know. I would think that if you've got a thousand people or more out there with all kinds of languages, he was going to choose whatever language would meet with the koine. So, I guess what I'm saying here is that, uh, and there are a lot of linguists who debate, you know, what was this actually spoken in? And you find that more in people who want to discredit the King James and, and, and the biblical record. They'll say, well, you know, this was just people coming along afterwards and they were saying these things. We really don't know what Jesus said. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a moment. I don't believe that God Almighty would, would not preserve with accuracy what His Son, who He is on earth, was saying. And so, um, I, I believe that this word was chosen perfectly. So, makarios is the word here, and it comes from machar, and it denotes the, tr uh, forgive me, sometimes I read things, and then when I write what I read, it, it's an amalgam of a lot of things, so forgive the bigger words. It denotes the transcendent happiness of a life beyond care, labor, and death. It was used of men to denote a state of godlike blessedness. Now, the Greeks thought it was in the Isles of the Blessed, and it became a leading philosophical expression for inner happiness. So, the Greeks thought that with their mindset of mythology, they thought that their life was so surrounded by the gods that if somebody was really in tune with heaven, that they lived above earthly existence. That they, they, were, in, they were in lockstep with another world. And through that then, they had the favor of whatever being they were worshiping, uh, and they were, they were greatly blessed, but the main essence of it all was that they were living above just an earthly existence. That was the main meaning. It was, it was either what you were going to gain after this earthly life was over, but that wasn't really all it was. Um, it was that the way you lived your life in conjunction with the spirit realm was that you lived above the earthly things. 
And um, however you could do that through your existence, if you really devoted yourself thusly when you ended this life, you would be on what they thought were these islands that were just like Eden. I, that's my term. They didn't say like Eden, but it was, it was amazing. So that was from Makar. But in Greek thought, keeping with its relationship to this root, Makarios described the first, first the happy state of the gods above earthly sufferings and labors. Like Makar, its root, it is then used for the dead who have attained to the life of the gods. And from the time of Aristotle, it became a very common and much weaker everyday term to describe people that, if, if that's the theological thing, then they wanted to live this way on earth. So if somebody gained wealth or political power, then they would be above the common problems of life. And um, for instance, by virtue of the riches would be an above the normal cares and worries of lesser folk. So there was, I guess what I'm saying is that when, when Jesus says blessed, he was saying several things. One, <clears throat> you've got to live your life according to other rules than the natural. You've got to recognize that there's something more than what you see in the natural. And you've got to devote yourself to that spiritual plane, albeit God, the true God. And you've got to also then believe that as you do that, no matter what's going on on the earth, you are kind of going to be, if you allow yourself to be, uh, in this world but not of this world. And so the, the idea of Makarios was something that was essential to the Christian walk. And other things that the Lord said, other things that Paul wrote, other things that the, the other writers wrote, would all indicate that, you know, we're in this world, not of this world. You are citizens of another kingdom. Um, don't, don't invest yourself in the things that pass away because, you know, you're going to one day be away from all of them and none of these things are going to matter. You know, sow for yourself treasures in the earthly thesaurus. You know, don't focus on things down here. And, you know, as, as weird as that sounds to some today, I refer to the blessed hymnal. And so many of those songs we, we sang growing up said things just like this. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of one that really says it. <laughs> I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I'm satisfied with just a little below, a little silver, a little gold. Someday yonder I'll never more wander, but I'll walk on streets that are purest gold. I've got a mansion, glory, just over the hilltop. We'd sing those things, and then we would be in the world. You know, we'd go to church, and um, we'd show up on Wednesday night to get a refilling, and we'd just make it. Um, and that's good, but when Jesus is saying this message, I think that the point of it is driven home by the fact that he says, Makarios, 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 Makarios. Get it? Seems to me 
You know, we talk about the law of the double issuance. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. How about the law of the nine issuance? I mean, I, I would think that Jesus wants to drive this point home. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, that the, the idea of makarios is what this is all about. You're here, but you need to live above here. You are part of another most blessed scenario, and you're not with the gods of Olympus. You're with the one true God. And this is what your focus should be. So if we're going to live that way, if we really and truly are going to live that way, here are the things that you need to do. And, you know, to me, I, I wasn't just looking for this, even though I did look for it. There are seven. And then he goes back in verse 10 to the first, very clearly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, and verse 10, he revisits, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. From verse 10 onward, he's talking about the ramifications of living this kind of life. If you choose to pursue the kingdom of heaven, and you do these things, you're going to face measures of persecution for the righteous vision that you are walking according to. And so let's, let's read these, you know them, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about these stages. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those seven, now beginning of verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, this is very very interesting to me. Um, uh, the, the, first, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, as I said, we're going to look at more deeply in the sermon that will come in a couple of hours. Um, poor in spirit, not poor in the natural, not poor in um, necessarily possessions, but poor in spirit. What is that? Now, as I said, we're going to look at this, but poor according to the Jewish mindset and according to the Old Testament mindset uh, was something very specific. And it had to do with 
something having been taken away from you, something either through war or through some chicanery that would rob you of what is really yours, that is the mindset of poor in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah, was the one who uh, guarded over this whole process of somebody that was poor in this way. And again, I don't want to teach what I'm going to preach on in a little while, but the idea of this was that um, you were living in accordance with having been robbed or or your heritage was perverted in some way. And there were all kinds of laws in place to restore people in the Old Testament who this had been done to. And if you had um, been deprived of your freedom, perhaps you had, were an indentured servant, well, there was a law that after six years, in the seventh year, you were set back into a point of right standing so that you could participate in the covenant heritage. If you were, um, if, even if land was taken away when it came to the law of the Jubilee, that land was returned. So the whole idea of poorness in the, in the Old Testament idea was whether people were living according to what their covenant heritage was. Now, when you came into the Greek society, there were two main words for poor. One was this one, and this went along, it's patoikos, it went along with what I was just trying to describe. The other word, most largely known in the Greek world, was just that somebody was working, somebody was gaining an income, but for whatever reason, they just never had much. Maybe they mismanaged, maybe they were foolish, and maybe they uh, were not the smartest or the sharpest tool in the box. And they were good people, but they were just, they were just poor. And that really had nothing to do with somebody's inheritance. Uh, you know, Les tries to help people to make the most of what they, what they earn and so that they can put things away and invest wisely. Um, you know, you can have people that are really good people and hard workers and they just don't. And what do you do for them? Do you, do you have some reparations kind of a thing where you can say, well, you've, sure, you've been living like an idiot for the past uh, 30 years and you really screwed up your life, but you know, you owe, you, 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 can, you deserve more than that. Life just doesn't work that way. And, you know, God blesses everybody. And, you know, I, I felt like, you know, my, my father was a lot that way. He was uneducated. Not because he wasn't smart, but because he, as the oldest of 11 kids, you know, he had to quit work to help to feed the family. So he only went through sixth, sixth grade. And in West Virginia schools, it was almost like, at that time, nothing against West Virginia, but at that time, it was almost like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, Jethro went to Oxford. 
Well, he, he was ciphering. <laughs> and so, but you know, my dad worked hard. He did a lot of times he worked a couple of jobs and um, he was strong and he worked by his hands, but we didn't have much and we didn't know it. Well, I guess he kind of knew it. By the time I got in high school, I recognized that we didn't have what everybody else had. And I'm not lamenting anything, but, you know, he just worked hard, and he really didn't have a whole lot of advice or opportunity to, to climb the ladder. So there were two schools of thought, but this word for poor went more along with the Old Testament idea of covenant, a covenant blessing that God wanted you to get to. Now, with that being said, what's this business about being that in spirit? Now, that's a totally different twist on this whole thing. And to me, that is the key to it all. Because if we're really in this world and not of this world, if we really are people who are serving the throne of God as saints, if we're really invested in, and we should be, seeing the, the purpose of God, the will of God restored through intercession and partnering with God as prophetic people, as pneumatikos people, if we go before the throne to see thy kingdom come, thy will be done, then we are not only, thank God, citizens of heaven, but we are sons of the Most High, and we are serving what God's will is. So this issue of poor in spirit is really a phenomenal, a phenomenal set. So how could the spirit, well, we're talking, of course, about the spirit within us, and we're talking about serving God, who is spirit. How could that be poor? Well, think about it, saints. What God originally intended for you, for humanity, for this earth, for this world, was really rebelled against. It, it was absconded in many ways. Darkness invaded. And really what we all know this, what God created this world to be was really um, done badly by the rebellion. Now, that's not the end of the story, but that's what happened. You know, you see the Son of God come, which had not, he not offered this sacrifice yet, and he dies on a cross so that we could lay claim for the payment of hastemes throughout the world, deposits of the glory of God throughout the world so that the strongholds can be put, the, the, the strong man can be put to flight and then this can be turned back to what God wants it to be. We've seen this and many other scriptures that talk about this. So the whole idea of being somebody who's partnering with God, taking up your cross, going where the Father directs you, planting that in, in that Peretz point. God searches for someone will do that. Why would He do that? Because what He originally intended is not yet become what He intended. 
And at the very end of the book, which some of you have read, it says the kingdoms of this world are now become the kingdoms of our God. So that says that there are a lot of kingdoms of this world that we're being sent into as strangers, as those who are in this world but not of it. We are partnering with God on behalf of what was His, is His, and forevermore shall be His. And that's the whole essence of spiritual warfare. That's the whole essence of taking a stand in the gap and holding it so that expansion and breakthrough and the greater works can be done. So, and this is an issue of spirit. This is not an issue of natural things or earthly things. Even though we're in this world, we're, we're in a place above this, seated far above principalities and powers, aren't we? So when Jesus says, blessed are Makarios, are the Patoikos in spirit, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, which is what he says. You are operating on behalf of the kingdom of heaven. It's in this world, but it's not of this world. And I just think that's, that's phenomenal. I just think, what a lead off. What a lead off. Now, did the people hearing this for the first time know he was saying all these things? Well, no. But they sure knew what Patoikos meant, and they sure knew what Makarios meant. They knew those words. And so they had to know, hey, this guy's talking about something that is not of this earth. You can apply these attitudes all over the place, but what he's really talking about is something above this earth and something that is after this life and for eternity. I think that's great. So, if there are seven of these, which I think there are, and then in verse 10, he comes back to the original thing. And he's saying, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. The vision that God directs you by, you're going to face opposition. Don't act like the world's caving in. Well, we had to learn that lesson, didn't we? Uh, it, it, was a ba- it, it was baffling to me early on. Just from the standpoint that I know we were following the Scripture. And I was so delighted to see these understandings of the Scripture as a student of the Word. And I just thought, why wouldn't anybody want this? And it stumped me that, why? Look, 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 this is what it's saying here. Why won't you see this? So I won't go down that trail. But there was opposition to God showing things. There was opposition to the fact that we were saying, we believe in the promise of the Father. We believe in dreams. We believe in visions. We believe in prophecy. We believe in people who will say, I'm going to lay everything down and be a, a servant and a handmaiden. We believe in all of that. Yeah, thank God for tongues and diversities of tongues. We'll, we're established in that point of communication. But righteous vision? And the idea that righteousness in the Old Testament involves hearing from God and vision and partnering with the throne? That's when God defined it. Look up at the sky, Abram. Look at those stars. Let me tell you what's going to happen with that. Do you see that? 
Now let me expand your vision. This is going to be the way your children and children's children are going to be. And it's going to be throughout the earth. And Abram believed God and God said, that's righteousness. That's it. And it stuns me that even that would be rejected. Um, but then you have another tear, reviling, persecution, false and evil words on behalf of this stance. That happens too. And it did happen. So the end of it all is you rejoice and are exceedingly glad. You keep your eye on grace. What is God doing? Cairo. In this moment, you know, what, what's grace? Be, what are you empowered in grace? Keep moving in it. And spin. Re be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. We, we know that. So the very first one in verse 3 speaks about, you, really, your partnership with God on behalf of Him and on behalf of His kingdom in heaven. How much clearer can we be? If you've got spirit and a kingdom in heaven, and you're saying, don't live according to this world, live according to something beyond the world with God, where your eternal life will be. This is an invitation to partner with Him. And, and I love that. So, the second one, verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning here is not, oh, woe is me. Oh, it's just so terrible. You know, just uh, so many people, I, I hear our little grandson, when he, he doesn't cry that often. When he does cry, though, he, you can tell something's wrong and he, he's looking for help. This, this is really not even the word for that. Look at this. What, what is comforted? Parakaleo. That's the Spirit saying, come and get in place. Come and stand with me here. Come and work according to the calling. That's what parakaleo really means. We know that. We've studied that. So if you commit yourself to this measure of wanting what God wants, and you commit yourself to be an intercessor, if this aligns, and I believe it does with grace and supplication, you're embracing the burden of the Lord, and you are being called into place. Very clear. You've got a calling into place, parakaleo, and you've got this, not grieving, it's, it's expressing measures of, of, of um, not even complaint. It's arguing a cause on behalf of something that has gone wrong. It's arguing uh, rights. It, it's seeing an aggrieved status and picking up that burden. It's almost like that other term we've studied in the Old Testament, kara, where you call out to God on behalf of something that wasn't yours, but you say, I'll take this anyway. And that's really the heart of grace and supplication. And when you, when you commit that you will do that, then God will place you in the strategic place that He ordained you to serve. If you're just playing around or if you're enjoying the spirit of the meeting and you say, yes, Lord, I'll go to Africa, but you really don't mean it, um, then 
God really can't, if He places you somewhere, He doesn't know how long you'll be there. You're liable to skedaddle at the first moment. So if you're partnering with the Spirit of God on behalf of the kingdom and you say, I'm in this for your will to be done, then the next thing is you've got to embrace the spirit of intercession. And you've got to pray in accordance with what God wants to do. And as you do that, faithfully, He will position you. And you will accept the positioning and He will strengthen you in that. What is the third one? I've got to keep rolling here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth goes back to that term that we've studied over and over again. It's the breaking of the bread at communion. It's that every one of you has a covenant positioning here on this earth. And if you will deal with the power of God, deal with the, the power of the, of the, of the heavens, uh, and but you'll do it in submission, in meekness, not just having power and bless God, I'm going to use it, but representing God where you're planted and being humble there. That's the fuel of promotion. You're faithful in that, God promotes you. But it's through, it's through meekness. Um, and we've studied meekness before. How does that align with um, wisdom and revelation? Well, you know as well as I do that, that knowledge is power. God revealing things to you is more about an understanding and how to use it in the kingdom, not just to get an understanding and think, man, I can market this, or getting an understanding and say, well, what can this do for me? Um, God gives you the, the, the treasures of understanding of His Word, which is the greatest understanding of, of anything because it's eternal. But with that, you have great responsibility. And meekness is the fueling. And it doesn't speak about being humble here, but that fits in there. Um, that humility that God looks to. Contrition that God looks to. And... Um, this is how you will function appropriate in the, appropriately in the place that God plants you. And we celebrate this every time we have communion with the breaking of bread. That term was used directly from a Hebrew term when Moses was dividing the land to the tribes. And so uh, we, we've experienced that. And I think, I think it's great, too, that as, we've, as we have been established here, God has opened up the floodgates of insight into His Word, of insight into the things of, of the heavens. And, and you have to be bathed in humility and meekness. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Um, because you can't gain this to be argumentative. You can't gain this to get in people's face. You gain this to please the Father, to function in the place where He's planted you, um, to, to serve Him appropriately. Um, and and there's, a, there's a meekness in that. 
It, it, there just is. I, I've got to keep rolling here. <laughs> Even though I'm subbing for Trisha Burke, I cannot rely upon um, the law of Burke. <laughs> Mark, I know you're listening. Uh, you always have so much that God gives you, and I know it's hard to, to split, but uh, I, to get it all out in one hour, but I, I'll be done here in 11 minutes. Well, that says 12 minutes. We'll see. What about blessed are the merciful? They, well, no, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness where they shall be filled. This is, um, this is kind of interesting because if we follow this progression of seven, this is the one that's prophecy, supply, life, healing. And when you prophesy to people, you're blessing them. You're trying to help them. You're trying to guide them under the direction of the Spirit into a deeper walk, maybe a, a walk of understanding so that they can go, go function more adequately than they were. And when, when we gain revelation and we're standing in the gap, um, God fills us, but He gives us more than we could ever have. I mean, our tables are full here. There, there's so many things that God shows us. There's not enough sessions during the week to teach them all. And we then are sent to people to share, to supply them where they're hungry and thirsty. That's, that's the onus of what our identity is as a saint's network. That's what we work during the week, reaching out to other nations, reaching out to other continents, trying to put these wonderful riches of the kingdom into other languages so that people who are hungry and thirsty, needing direction, can be filled. And then we can teach them how to seek God for themselves, not just to give them fish, but to teach them how to fish in the streams and in the pools where they are. And so this fits wonderfully here. The greatest measure of prophecy is to, to bring people into a, a fuller grasp of what God created them to be. And um, I, I'm grateful for that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, here's, here's something, and I'll take just a couple minutes to talk about this. Um, we know what in the Old Testament, mercy, chesed, is. It really, um, Moses went with, uh, before God at the Ark of the Covenant, before the mercy seat in the presence of the cherubs, and God would speak to him about what he wanted that Ark to be doing at that time, what the people should be doing, where they should be going, where they shouldn't be going. Mercy there was partnership with God, but it was also communication. That's been established. Now, when you came to the Septuagint, these 70 guys had lots of discussions about um, this idea of mercy in the Old Testament and what we just described and how that there needed to be, for the Greek uh, understanding, um, a 
a more expanded measure of mercy, of, of, of a word, a term for mercy. And then this one, this word came about. And the essence of it is, it's not, how do I say this? We want to hear from God. We want to be directed by the Spirit. We want to be representing Him on behalf of the power that He gives. But then this word speaks about the proper application of that understanding and power. And so it really is an administrative representative kind of a term. It doesn't take away from the root of it, what we talked about from the Old Testament. I mean, how the essence is meeting with God in the presence of the angels and getting directives. But when Moses left that place, how does he communicate that? And in fact, it might be argued that a failure to do that properly was what kept him from going into the, the land. As hard as that was, I'm not criticizing Moses. I can't imagine what it must have been like 40 years with these folks and then you stand with the next batch and you think these rascals are just as, as, as rebellious as, as the last. Maybe, maybe they perfected rebellion a little bit more. And, and so meekness, uh, meekness, uh, merciful here, merciful here, um, has to do with administration of the power. It has to do with representing the power of God. And um, doing that in a way that um, will then allow God the, the privilege of giving you more authority and more power. This lines up with the saints. This lines up with representing what that, that whole aspect of hagias, taking something that was twisted and perverted and you walking it and you representing it. Um, that, and that word is very clear in the Greek language. It's, it's an administrative thing. It's, it's and, you know, then it extrapolates to our English understanding. Have mercy, give me something. You have power, give me something. So from that standpoint, people were looking to a person in authority. But from the root of the understanding, this spoke about you representing things properly. And um, I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, pure cathartos. Pure is being open, flowing, not have any blockage in your, your ste the steering wheel of your life. How are you measuring this? Um, because if you do that, you're going to see God. And which, which of the seven spirits does this align with? The spirit of glory and of God. So if you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you're, you're, you're not, your, your heart is clear. It's flowing properly. All of these pistons are firing perfectly. Then God will draw you into this place and He will empower you for what, for what is coming next. The last one, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Truth and sonship. Have you won the victory of peace? Have you accomplished what the Shalom has sent you to accomplish? If you have, come and rejoice in this Sabbath experience. Come and see 
um, the, the victory that God has done and, and rejoice in that. And, um, and you are there as children of the Most High. I think this is wonderful. Now you can, you can take the next three verses and you can maybe say that these are phases. The first is the beginning, however far that goes. Uh, the second is the middle group, the types of oppositions that come when you're out there actually administrating. And the third would be that point where you're a peacemaker, you're with the children of God, you were called the children of God, you're rejoicing, you're looking at the things that God has done, the reward in heaven, you're there with Him. I just think this is great, but this beatitude business is, is really something special. Now, I included a few verses there, and we can roll through them quickly, where Makarios is used again. Uh, Luke 1, 43-45, this is Mary uh, and Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth says, Whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed, Makarios, is she that believed. For there, is a perform there will be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Um, really, Elizabeth is prophesying over Mary. You're living in a realm that's beyond the natural here. What God has said is not according to the way things are normally done on this earth. I mean, this is a really powerful thing, and she chooses that term carefully, makarios. Is you, Mary. Revelation 1.3, Blessed, makarios, is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and terio, those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Here is a, an emphasis on prophecy and the words and you reading and studying and you doing these things faithfully in your terio where God has planted you. Um, Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I come quickly, blessed, Makarios, is he that keeps terio, the sayings of the prophecy of this book. There again is a connection between what is firmly established eternally, prophetically gleaning and applying it in the place where you're called. Revelation 22:14. Blessed are those that do or, or work at the commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But here is blessed and a connection again with functioning on behalf of the commandments. And you're welcome into this eternal place. Now what does Peter say? I, I think this is great. He says... Two things that are just phenomenal about Makarios. 1 Peter 3.14 But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, Makarios are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Hmm. Now Peter was there when this be attitude message was preached. And... Um, I think it's funny how they depict this in The Chosen. I don't know if any of you have seen it, where all these thousands of people and Jesus would position, I don't know whether this is true or not. It just seems right. He positioned his disciples at increments of, of space and he would speak a word and then 
let's say Matthew is 50 feet away and he will repeat it and then they, so that the thousands could actually hear. So I don't know whether that's true, but it makes sense. Um, so Peter was obviously there. Whether he reiterated or not, I don't know. But here he uses the Makarios. He uses it again in 1 Peter 4.14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, Makarios are you. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, they speak evil. But on your part, he is being glorified. So here again is this connection between Makarios and being suffering for righteousness and being spoken of in reproach for the name of Christ. So I just look at the world that's around us now and I see the crazy things that are happening. Just evil. Being trumpeted um, throughout our nation and around the world. I see things on a political scale in the nations. Uh, you can look and see the, the positioning for end time events in a way like we've not seen. In our lifetimes, America has been the city on a hill, you know, the great eagle that comes forth. And Yesterday or the day before, Les would know exactly the day, probably some of you might, there was an agreement between China and Brazil to not use the American dollar as their standard of the world currency. They're just going to bypass us. And uh, India is following right along. Russia is right in there. I think they call that the BRIC compact. Brazil, Russia, India, China. And that that group of, wow, do you see it aligning? All those years when we were hearing prophetic teachers come in and talk about how Russia is going to be the, the Antichrist. Well, how about going a little bit further east? How about our Chinese friends that during the time of the 40s and 50s were basically not much of an influence? Now, you can see. And so with, with all of these things and the evil that's being promulgated across our country and the horrible things that are happening that we thought, never did I imagine I'd see this in my lifetime. If there was ever a time that we needed to be Makarios, recognizing that we have to live our lives representing the kingdom, representing the Father's will, representing that spirit that is in us and the spirit of God that is everywhere. I mean, we need to be servants of the kingdom of heaven. And it really begins by us being poor in spirit. So please turn the tape over for part two, which will be spoken uh, in just a few minutes. That's the end of my lesson. I've, that, don't trust that clock over there. It's not, it's four after. That says two after. <clears throat> Dennis, I'm done. <laughs> I, and if